Welcome back to another Lost Ladies of Lit Mini episode, everyone, and happy Independence Day. This episode drops on July 4th. Yes, which has us thinking about all the women who were involved in the founding of our nation. So many, many names spring to mind, right, Kim? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can only think of Betsy Ross. I mean, I can think of wives, I guess, of founding fathers, but no, I mean- I know. I'm being facetious when I said so many, many names spring to mind. It's hard. It's hard to come up with them. Yeah. We need a Lost Ladies of the Revolution or something like that. Anyway, weren't there a bunch of women who served as spies? I think we talked about doing an episode about some of them at one point. Yeah, that's true. Um, And maybe we will do that at a later point. Maybe this time next year, we'll do the spies. But believe it or not, we also have a Lost Lady of Lit from this time period in American history. That's interesting. When I think of people who wrote during the American Revolution, it's always one of the founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson or John Adams, Thomas Paine. Same. Um, interestingly, though, so Jack, my 11-year-old son, he was studying the American Revolution this year in school, and they put on a little pageant for the parents where they all dressed up as different pivotal figures. <laughs> Very cute, little tricorn hats and like powdered wigs and stuff. But that's where I got the idea for the subject of today's mini, Mercy Otis Warren. She was one of the characters in this little show that they put on. Oh, that's good. I I figured you found her and introduced her to them, but no, actually found that. Okay. All right. So that name sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think I would have been able to say much about her prior to prepping for this episode. Yeah, I I didn't know anything about her either. So I wound up checking out a book from the library by Nancy Rubin Stewart for more information. It's called The Muse of the Revolution, The Secret Pen of Mercy Otis Warren and the Founding of a Nation. So most of what we'll be sharing for this episode comes from what we gleaned from this biography. Okay, so Stewart refers to Warren as the first female reporter of the American Revolution. As the wife of a high-profile patriot with connections to many of the big names we associate with the time period, Warren ended up chronicling the events she lived through. Her History of the Rise, Progress and Termination of the American Revolution was first published in 1805, and it's considered a seminal and detailed account of the colonial cause. And like you said, Kim, we don't really think of many writers from this time period being female. The poet Phyllis Wheatley is one that most of us know. But in terms of Mercy Otis Warren, scholars aren't completely sure why she received the terrific education that she did, because most daughters at this time would not have been educated. There's actually a line from Ben Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac, girls mark my words and know, for men of sense, your strongest charms are native innocence. Okay, so just be dumb. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know we were going to have to cancel Bren Franklin in this. I know, seriously. I'm just kidding. Kidding. Yeah. Um, kidding, not kidding. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Mercy's dad was a member of the Massachusetts Congress and he fostered her intellect. But you also have to keep in mind that she was the eldest daughter in a family of 13 kids. Seven of the children survived. As the oldest girl, she would have had a lot of domestic responsibilities. So she wasn't having a ton of time to sit around reading and learning. But she did have this older brother, Jemmy, that she was very close to. And he attended Harvard, 
had tutors, all that kind of stuff. And she kind of learned a lot from him by proxy. He was sharing a lot of what he knew, including the work of philosophers like John Locke and this idea of man's right to perfect freedom. So later on in life, big brother Jemmy unfortunately suffered a mental deterioration that kind of took him out of the cause. But prior to that, he had been a real leader in the patriotic movement. So it's almost like Mercy felt compelled to pick up her big brother's banner where he left off. Right. So she went on to marry James Warren. He was a college chum of her brother, Jemmy, and the couple settled into married life. They lived in Plymouth, Massachusetts, had some kids, and seemed like they had a happy domestic life. James Warren really appreciated his wife's intelligence, and eventually they befriended a young couple by the name of John and Abigail Adams. And this is really important because John Adams wound up having an important influence on Mercy's writing career. He sort of became her mentor. He read her writing and he encouraged her along the way. So she had started experimenting with writing political poetry because prior to that, all her poems had been more personal or, you know, about nature, just lovely stuff. But then at one point she wrote a poem for the Royal American Magazine, which criticized colonial women for not making sacrifices on the home front. Basically, what was happening was colonial women wanted all the lace and the frippery and the fine materials that came over from Britain. And Mercy said in this poem, come on now, girls, you've got to be willing to give up the fancy clothes right now. This is not the time. This is what she says. Yet all unite at once to end the great politic strife and yield up all but real wants of life. And I also love this poem because she makes an allusion to the water cooler book of the day, Samuel Richardson's, wait for it, Larissa. Larissa. <laughs> I love how you call it the water cooler book of the day. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was the book everyone was talking about. I love that. So longtime listeners of this show will know that this book is Amy's albatross. She mentioned it in episode number one. And Amy... An update? No. I still haven't finished it. It is still on my night. I'm going to have to come over and read it to you after you finish reading to Jack every night. <laughs> I'm going to be like, Jack, you need to start reading this to me. It's sitting there on my nightstand taunting me. But yeah, so this is what Mercy Otis Warren has to say about Clarissa in this same piece. She says, Clarissa reigns no more a favorite toast. So what she's saying is, let's all boycott Clarissa and all things British. Ooh. We're acting like we love this book, but like maybe let's not love it. So maybe you don't need to finish reading it, Amy. <laughs> You're taking a patriotic stand here. So what else yeah. did she write? What else did she talk about? Okay, so she then started getting into writing political plays. And I didn't know this, but plays in New England were banned. Mm. So there was no theater. Okay. Mercy had never even seen a play. Because of Puritanism? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But yeah. they were published in newspapers, so you would read plays. Mm -hmm. So she wrote this one play anonymously called The Adulator, and it satirized Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson. So here's what Warren's biographer, Stewart, writes about this. With the publication of The Adulator, Mercy made her debut as the Patriot's secret pen, whose barbed lampoons provoked laughter and longing for liberation from British rule. So she was inspiring everyone who was reading this. Um, she was in her late 40s when she wrote it. 
She went on to write a couple of other plays that satirized well-known Tories around town also, and everybody kind of knew who she was hinting at. So it was great. People were loving it. But then she started worrying, like, maybe I'm taking this too far. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But then John Adams wrote to her husband asking him to send, quote, most friendly regards to a certain lady. Tell her that God Almighty, I use a bold style, has instructed her with powers for the good of the world, which he bestows upon few of the human race, that instead of being a fault to use them, it would be criminal to neglect them. Ooh, that gives me the chills. Yeah, he gave her the green light, the, you the know? secret, like, you're in, you're amazing, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing it, yeah, it's yeah, working. Keep doing, oh, that's so cool, I want to read it. And then following the Boston Tea Party, John Adams actually commissioned a piece from her. He wanted her to memorialize that incident in a poem. Yes. She called it The Squabble of the Sea Nymphs, and she wrote it in the mock epic style of Alexander Pope's The Rape of the Lock, which every English major (laughs) has read in college. (laughs) So when John Adams read it, he called it, quote, one of the incontestable evidences of real genius. Wow. This all actually seems really daring of her to be calling people out in her writing and knowing that the representatives of the crown would be seeing it all. I mean... Yeah, I mean, she was publishing it anonymously, but it definitely was dangerous. You're right. And clearly some people knew who was writing it. People can figure it out. And in a letter to Abigail Adams, Mercy actually made mention to the fact that as the wives of the Patriots, they could also be accused of treason. The coercive acts that were passed at the time said anyone suspected of treason could be immediately apprehended and taken back to England. So it's easy for us now to forget how fraught and scary these times would have seemed. And also, I just kept thinking how futile it would have seemed to think that you could take on England and win and you're still willing to do all this risky, daring stuff. They're braver than I. Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel the same way. I mean, they must have felt at times like, what the hell are we doing? And they just decided to keep going. They felt that vigorously about it. So, She was writing all this stuff anonymously so as to avoid retribution and accusations of treason, but it also worked to her advantage because no one knew that a woman was writing it. So it was all taken more seriously because it was anonymous and people assumed it was a man. Mm-hmm. And all of her work was anonymous until 1790, which is when she published a compilation of two decades worth of her work. Like, hey, surprise. Hey, it's me. Hello. (laughs) I'm thinking of that famous line from Abigail Adams, remember the ladies, which by the way, should be part of our podcast branding. Come to think of it. Oh my God. Yeah. Remember the ladies. Yes. Let's put it on a mug or something. Yep. Um, I should also mention that Mercy has another mentor during this time that you could say would be a lost lady of lit. Um, It was a famous female British historian named Catherine Macaulay. Mercy was a fan of her work, and she wrote her a fan letter back in England, and the two ended up having this correspondence where Mercy would report back to her about everything that was happening in the colonies. So she's living through all these incidents. Her satirical writing for newspapers is galvanizing the colonists and getting them really fired up. Yeah. And then she's also getting people fired up in her letters, too. 
because during Britain's siege of Boston in 1775, her husband had written to John Adams urging him to just stop trying to work out a deal with George III, you know, stop trying to make peace. And at the end of this letter, Mercy wound up adding her own paragraph and she writes, you should no longer piddle at the threshold. It is time to leap into the theater to unlock the bars and open every gate that impedes the rise and growth of the American Republic. And don't piddle at the threshold. I mean, Lady Macbeth right there. Don't piddle don't is pee. Just don't little pee there. Just actually go do something. Yeah. Whoa. And for a woman to write that too. I mean, that's yeah. Cool. Like, and to, yeah, to take the initiative and be yeah. like, P.S. Let me add something. Yeah. 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 She was also privately recording everything that she was hearing. You know, she was sort of the fly on the wall in important meetings. Her home in Plymouth was a meeting place for a lot of the secret meetings of the Patriots, including the Sons of Liberty. And her husband was a political bigwig. So she's hearing a lot of stuff, you know, the news of Lexington and Concord, and then all the subsequent battles and the hardships that the army was facing. She's observing it all and recording her thoughts with her eye toward eventually writing a history. And I will say, I haven't read this history. It's three volumes and it comes out to 1200 pages. So, okay. Will you be reading this first or finishing Clarissa? For- <laughs> I'd rather finish if Clarissa you have to pick than one. read this. Yeah. I don't I have am- the time to read that. I actually either, really so. do like the history of the American Revolution, I do get into it, but I have to have more time. But this book effectively made her America's first female historian, right? Yeah. But this book also prompted a little bit, actually, no, a lot of flack from her old pal, John Adams. Not her biggest fan. Yeah. What happened? The tide turned. So as the fledgling republic, you know, they've gotten through the war, they're creating this new country, it's having its growing pains. Mercy and her husband started to part ways politically with John Adams. He was a federalist. They were anti-federalist, which meant siding with Thomas Jefferson. And some of that philosophy spills over into her work. So I guess she kind of threw a little shade at John Adams in her big history of the Mm -hmm. revolution, and he did not appreciate it. He ended up telling someone that history is not the province of the ladies. So Mm -hmm. suddenly he's not singing her praises anymore. Yeah, apparently that rule about not discussing politics with people applies even to your friends who are actual politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, Mercy Otis Warren died in 1814 at the age of 86. In 2002, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca Falls, New York, and she has a spot on the Boston Women's Heritage Trail. I loved hearing about this because I have done the Freedom Trail in Boston on several occasions, but I didn't realize there was a specific one for the ladies. Neither did I. I've been on it's it too. It's a ladies' trail. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. So you can do Freedom Trail Revolutionaries Women's Tours if you're visiting Boston. And also Mercy and James Warren's home still stands on a street corner in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's called the Winslow Warren House. I love that it's still there. Yeah, and we will still be here next week. 
You like that segue? Yeah, that was great. You're so good at that. (laughs) With another Lost Lady of Lit to learn about. So we hope you tune in. And also, we really hope you could take one more minute now that this episode has wrapped to leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It's an easy way to tell us that you appreciate what we're doing. And we really appreciate it so, so much. We sure do. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone, and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Amy Helms and Kim Askew.